besides the evening sky. Sunshine in the morning. Savior, you are always there. No matter how I'm feeling. Praise you, Lord, singing. Praise, praise. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church worship service. <clears throat> for the announcements today, uh, we'd like to just say we, we miss you. And for that, I decided I was going to dress up just to say hi, and I love you all. And uh, sure miss seeing you face-to-face and giving you hugs. Want to remind everybody, we're still doing the connection card, sort of, kind of. Not filling out cards, but we do have an encouragement team that's calling everybody every week or trying to. And if you've got any prayer requests or things like that, we still believe that the most I can do or we can do to help you is pray for you. So if you've got any prayer requests, please share with your encouragement team person that calls you this week and let them know. Uh, 
and the the prayer team is still meeting on Tuesdays. Sue types out all the the prayer requests and puts it on a piece of paper so that we have it when we when the prayer team meets. So we'd love to be able to pray for you. Um, The small groups are still meeting. Partial of them are doing the Zoom meetings. Some of them are doing meeting in person. So we'd love to have you join a small group. Uh, it's been a while since you've been around some church people. Maybe it'd feel good to come in and, and uh, join part of a team. Where uh, Pastor St- Steve is working on coffee hours and uh, like that. So if you want to join a coffee hour, watch your email. They'll announce what times and what they're doing is using Zoom, and if you need help getting Zoom, if you haven't got it already, uh, call Sue at the church. She works Mondays, uh, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, I believe, and she can help you. And there are other people that can help you if you would like. Um, For your information, the Pastor Search Committee is still working very actively. We just spent a couple hours in a meeting last night, and our resume or our job posting is out there, uh, it's out there on multiple sites now, and we already have five resumes, even one or two that are close to being local. So that's a well and encouraging thing. And we're holding on. We're reading through those. We, we're getting uh, uh, audio of the these people's uh, sermons to listen to, and we're doing that. And uh, we're working on our questions for actual interviewing time, and we're going to let this ride until May 15th. And at May 15th, that's when the pastor search committee will start hopefully breaking them down into a a refined number and uh, working with just one, two, or three primary candidates that we think is going to be the best fit. And at that point, uh, we're not even sure where we're going to go from there as to what's the next step, but we're working on, working on that right now. <clears throat> and finally, uh, offering, you still can give to the church as needed. Uh, the church does need it. Uh, that's part of what we have here, and we pray that not too distant future we'll be able to get back together and as, a, as a whole congregation. There might be some new rule changes, maybe not quite so much hugging and handshaking, but we'll be able to get back together. So we still need to work on offering. Uh, You can go on to uh, the church's website. You can get a hold of Sue or Kim, and they can help you, but offering should still be given. And for that, and to pray for today's sermon and what's going on, let's pray for the offering. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that in today's world, this new technology, we have the ability to still be able to Uh, do worship in a little bit different manner, but we have the ability to do it. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the message this week. We pray, Lord, that it brings glory and honor to you. And Lord, we pray for the offering. We pray for the gifts that are being given to this church, that it brings glory and honor to you, and that we each give in a manner that, that is worthy. We thank you for your love and for your grace. And we do pray, Lord, that it's soon that we are able to get back together, that this pandemic is uh, put aside. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody. Love you.
On that same day, as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said, No Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God, for they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. When this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Before this had happened, Eliashib the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, the various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned that Eliashib's evil I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the article for God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, Why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padaiah one of the Levites. And I appointed Hanan son of Zachar and grandson of Mattaniah as the assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, O my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. In those days I saw the men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing that our ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath had ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, But I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. 
Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. About the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people that couldn't, and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joeda, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite, so I banished him from my presence. Remember them, O my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O my God. How many of you remember this show? You get bonus points if you remember it in black and white. This is Lost in Space, a great science fiction show. One of the favorite parts of Lost in Space is this robot, and I think his name was just Robot. But what's great about Robot is that in, I think every episode he'd go, Danger! Will Robinson! Danger! Will Robinson! And that was, that was awesome. You knew something great was going to be happening. And as I've been looking at chapter 13 in Nehemiah for the Alliance Bible Church, that was <clears throat> what was getting in my mind is, is danger. This is kind of a warning for where the church, your church might be at in the redevelopment, re, uh, thinking through process. And before we get into a little bit more of that, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Doug, um, Doug Diller. I live in Southeast Portland. I've been going to Mosaic Church, which is part of the CMA denomination for probably 15-ish years. Grew up in Chicago area. Um, I did live on the west side at one point, so, you know, that, that was good. Um, I got three daughters. I love soccer, and I love talking theology. So this is going to be great. Um, also, what I think would be important for you to know is that uh, about a year and a half ago, Mosaic had a church health assessment, too, where the congregation got polled and surveyed and interviewed and all those kinds of things and went through a whole whole process similar to um, ABC is going through right now. So I <clears throat> understand the process. I understand the feelings of up and down that the congregations can have. And I will also add that I am not paid uh, full-time staff. I am part-time staff and I work maybe five hours a week doing some things around here. And then I have a, another job keeping my family fed and watered, which 
that takes a while. Um, but it, like most of you, we, you know, I put my time in a church because I love it. I believe it. All that, all that kind of good stuff. But my my vocation is is somewhere else. So I understand this church um, assessment process similar to where most of you are at. So um, looking at Nehemiah 13, I've, I understand that you guys have been working through the book of Nehemiah, which I am assuming has been a lot of fun, challenging, lots of things to think about. And I was given chapter 13 to talk about. So let me give you a brief summary of, of chapter 13. Basically, um, Nehemiah and Ezra, you can kind of clump those two together in, in some ways. They're both after the 70 years of, of exile. Um, so tuck that, that uh, <clears throat> year 70 into the back of your mind, because we'll come back to that again. This Nehemiah is happening 70 years after the Israelites were in exile. And there were three significant ways. One, two, three. Nehemiah was helping to rebuild the way that Israelites were worshiping. They were communicating they were being in covenant with God. One of them was a physical wall. One of them was reinstating the Sabbath. And the third was dealing with intermarriage issues. And all those things were being addressed basically from Ezra to Nehemiah chapter 12. And they go into details about the different things that Nehemiah, Ezra helped the Israelites do, what had to change, what had to be implemented. It's going going, going smooth. Then we get to uh, verse verse six-ish in chapter 13. Nehemiah had left. He wasn't in Jerusalem anymore. And he says, he says it was the 32nd year of King Arteryx of Babylon. So we know the time frame that this was. And I went to the king and I asked if I could return. Sound a little familiar to chapter one? Chapter one, he asks the king, can I return? Kind of a repeat here, right? Um, King says, sure, go ahead, come on back. So Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem, and he says, Then I discovered the wrong that Elisheb had been done on behalf of Tobiah. Like, right away, the first thing he does, he comes back, and he discovers things that had been wrong. He doesn't come back and go, oh, man, things are going great. Things were screwed up again. He goes on to say how they were being done wrong in the house of God. House of God, walls of Jerusalem, very similar. Second thing that was being done wrong comes in uh, around verse 15, where the uh, Sabbath is being uh, violated. It says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine grapes, figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And I warned them at that time against selling food. So they're doing something on the Sabbath they shouldn't have been doing. Elijah has to, or um, Nehemiah has to warn them again. And the other thing is uh, around verse 23, uh, intermarriage. And <clears throat> he says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And goes on to say how this was wrong and made him totally mad. So basically, verse chapter 1, or even back to Ezra, things are getting rebuilt. We have several chapters in Ezra. I don't know, what is it, eight or nine chapters in Ezra that things are getting rebuilt. 
Then in Nehemiah 1 through 12, things are getting rebuilt. They're on, they're on a good, good trajectory upward. Um, and then Nehemiah comes back and bam, they're just, they're trashed. They're trashed. Life is a wreck. Um, I think if we were to describe it today, we would say it was a hot mess. Everything, the three main areas that Nehemiah and Ezra had worked on were once again completely off the rails. And the story basically ends in verse 30 and 31, basically ends with everything off the rails. And then he says, Nehemiah says, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the, fir for the first fruit. Remember me, O oh my God, for my good. Basically ends with Nehemiah saying, well, God, at least remember me because I did the good stuff. Look, you're like, what? This is not a tidy story at all. This is, I read this through and I was like, this is not what I expected. In fact, I, I had to find, it wasn't hard, but I, because I, have, know a few people, but I had to find a Hebrew professor and I'd bounce this idea off her and say, am I missing something here? Because this is just a wreck at the end. And it's quite frankly, it's discouraging. It's frustrating, annoying, all of these things. And I go, am I, am I reading this right? And she's like, yeah, you are. So there, there's, there's chapter 13, the summary of what's going on. And the question becomes, what do we do with this as a big church or as ABC specifically? And quite frankly, after I'd sat on this for a while, I was ready to bail. I was like, man, I do not want to try to try to make this something for you guys. This is, this is terrible. Um, and it took me a while to to sit with it and to think on it. And for me, that is probably the first thing you as Alliance Bible Church need to do. If you probably have done it, you have to think about doing it in the future. You have to think about sitting with the uneasiness and the restlessness, the, even the anxiety that when this reassessment gets through, for you guys officially through, things might not be tidy. Um, they might not be smooth waters completely. And that's gonna take some time to sit with, to think on, to talk about, and that's, that's the Bible. Man, there are not very many tidy stories in the Bible. There are not very many things that tie up perfectly. There's a lot of loose ends. There's not a character in the Bible outside of Jesus and maybe Daniel that um, do not talk about the sin that they had and the failures that they had. So untidiness, uneasiness, that's nothing new to this book. It's nothing new to our God. It's nothing new to Jesus. We just have to be somewhat comfortable with it and be prepared for it. So that's number one. And of course, any sermon that is preach needs to have three points, so I guess I'll go with three. Um, the second thing that we can do is we can celebrate that God keeps working. Nehemiah left, things were going 
going going smoothly. He leaves. We don't know how they got derailed. We don't know how long they were derailed for. We have none of that. But for whatever reason, Nehemiah asked to go back. And whether that was God-inspired or he just wanted to check in, again, we're not left with those details, right? But we know that he wants to go back, and he had to ask the king permission, and God allowed it. However those details work out, that's a little bit beyond here. It's for speculation. But Nehemiah goes back and is still working to try to correct things. God is still sending people to to move us and to correct us. And again, this is not a unique story to Nehemiah. This happens all the time. Continued, I'm going to try again, I'm going to try again, all the way from Genesis chapter 3, where the people run off and God starts looking for them again and tries again all the way through the disciples when the you know the disciples bail on him and Jesus comes back and retalks to him and gets him going again. This is this is what walking a Christian life is like. I mean God just keeps working, keeps working in us in in us as individuals and in us as a corp, corporate body. So that's that's number two. We can celebrate that God keeps working. And in the midst of this redevelopment process, this is part of God's reworking. And now that you're coming to an end of it, officially, be reminded that God is going to have to keep working. It's not, this work is not done. It's not complete. It's going to keep working. It's going to fail. Parts of it are going to fail. And God's going to be faithful and keep working again. Those two points about sitting with it and God keep work, God's keep working are a little bit more I don't know, theoretical or metaphysical, whatever word you want to use. It just kind of you need to you need to stir on those in your brain. Maybe talk talk to some people about it. But the third point um, is probably the most practical point. Remember that seventy year seventy years of exile. <clears throat> When they came back after 70 years of exile, the three things that they had to um, work on, the wall, the Sabbath, and marriage. It would be easy to take these three things and go, oh, we got to take care of our church building. We got to figure out who we're going to marry. And we got to obey the Sabbath. Those are good things. However, I don't think that's what God is saying. Those were those were cultural things. They had been in exile for 70 years. They had been for 70 years without a building. They didn't have anything. Most of the generation didn't even know what a building, what a temple was like. They were they were slaves. They were uh, wandering, all that kind of stuff for 70 years. They didn't have a Sabbath to celebrate. They had, they had no ability to do that for 70 years. They didn't know what a Sabbath looked like. Intermarriage. They were surrounded by un-Israelites, non-Israelites, whatever you want to call them. And so, yeah, you're going to start marrying people. Um, and you had no framework for what God was saying to you because you were out of it for 70 years. They come back in... in Nehemiah Ezra helps him come back in. These were godly cultural issues. They weren't just cu cultural issues. They weren't just godly issues. They were godly cultural issues, specific 
in many ways for this context of things that they need to work on. They needed a new temple because they didn't have one before. They needed to relearn what the Sabbath was. They had no concept of celebrating Sabbath. They need to learn about why marriage to other cultures was not appropriate then, and that could get us on a big, long topic and just be safe to say that God allows us to marry whatever culture we want to now. But there were some things that hindered that that could take us for another few hours. Um, so these were really culture. I shouldn't say really culturally specific, but they were culturally specific to us. To, to I'm sorry, to Nehemiah and his group. And it would get a danger if we try to superimpose those on ABC Church or any other church right now. So what that means for you and your church is that you have to think about what are the cultural things, what are the godly things that we're being asked that have been brought up that we need to address and be mindful that we could regress into. Now I'm going to give you an ex a couple examples from um, Mosaic Church because we just went through the assessment. There were two things that I um, stuck in my mind that I know that there were more, but one of them was during the assessment we were told that our board of directors really didn't know how to act as a board of directors. Lots of detail in that. Um, we were given specific things about what needed to be changed. I'm not on the board of directors. This is just what I've been hearing and reading. So I don't, I don't know all the specifics. However, I do know that it would be easy once some of these changes to get implemented is for our board of directors to go back to operating the same way that it had done before, just regressing back. So that's some one thing for us that we have to be mindful of as we continue trying not to regress into. The other thing was that we, during the assessment, it was talked about we planned a lot. We planned and implemented a lot and basically we're told you lost your first love. You lost your focus on Jesus in so many words. And I think that kind of hit a few of us. We were kind of surprised by that, maybe a lot of us. Um, and so we spent a good year working on refocusing that and knowing, okay, what does it mean to have our first love again? And now we're coming out of that year. We called it a year of jubilation and celebration and we did a lot of worship and things and now we're kind of coming to the tail end, or not kind of we are out of it and I could see us as a church uh, maybe not tomorrow maybe not next week next month but going back to the old way of planning a lot and doing a lot and moving away from our first love so I think that's another thing we as mosaic church need to be mindful of that we don't regress into that's our Sabbath. That's our intermarriage. That's our temple that's destructing. And there were a few other things like that that have, have been talked about with us as a church. So for you as ABC, from what I've read, um, Steve sent me the assessment. I've talked with Steve a little bit. I'm sure there are a few things, a couple of things that stood out to me was you guys relied on your pastor to do a lot of things. Don't know completely the details or how that looked. Um, now that you're without a full-time pastor, you guys are doing a ton of stuff. And it would be possible 
for you to regress once you get a full-time bastard into, hey, we're going to rely on our pastor to do a lot of this stuff again. That would be your cultural godly peace that you're needing to make sure you don't regress into. The other thing that I noticed in, uh, was the conflict piece, that there's been some conflict. And again, I don't know the extent of it, what it involves, but it was something that was addressed. And moving forward, some of the skills, some of the healing, some of the processes that were in place now and in the past to resolve some of those areas of conflict might get left aside moving forward. You might forget how to resolve conflict or that I've forgiven somebody or they've forgiven me. Whatever it is, that conflict could easily rise up again. So there are probably a few more areas and maybe an area that is for you as an individual might not be an area for somebody else. There's probably a few that are there for the whole as a church, but that's something to be mulling about, talking about, being mindful of so that it doesn't regress into that. So sit with the uncomfortability of the way this chapter ends. Um, celebrate the God is keep, that keeps working and think about the culture godly issues that need to be addressed specifically in ABC. This book, Nehemiah, is telling us danger Will Robinson, danger Will Robinson. The cool thing about it is that Will Robinson, he tunes into that every episode, whether it's in black and white or color. He tunes into it and he works through it. He heeds, heeds, what a great word, heeds. He heeds danger Will Robinson and takes it to heart and works on not going down those ways. So as you move forward through the last, the final steps of wrapping up your assessment, refocus, whatever it is. Danger Will Robinson. Danger Will Robinson. Danger Will Robinson.